On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, as we've been discussing on the programme today, it was a bad week, of course, yes, for Liz Truss, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Mary O'Leary and the way she might look at you. Um, but a good one for a man named George Canning, who has finally been removed from the bottom of the table because until this week George Canning was everyone's favourite pub quiz trivia question he was until this week the shortest serving Prime Minister in the history of the United Kingdom now one of only four Prime Ministers who is commemorated with a statue in Parliament Square that might seem like an unusual honour to bestow on a guy who only had the job for about four months Uh, what you might not have known although you might have heard his name this week is that his life was fundamentally linked to Ireland and his name in a post-trust world is very much now back in the press and Donald Fallon is here uh, to tell us all about it Donald good to see you as ever Uh, there's all kinds of interesting historic things about the Liz Truss Premiership because in spite of everything else she's also the Prime Minister who met two monarchs in a little over a month. Yeah and the story that we're telling today is a story about a Tory party in ideological turmoil ripping itself apart so history does sometimes repeat but in the 1960s uh, a time of crises plural in British Mm. politics uh, the Prime Minister Harold Wilson famously quipped that a week is a long time in politics and you know what so is 40 odd days and it was quite the week for British politics, I think we can all agree. Yep. Uh, it's certainly unusual to have the resignation of a, of a Prime Minister who didn't so much as step foot in most parts of the United Kingdom, which is amazing. You know, She was never yeah, in most of the constituent yeah, yeah. parts of the UK as Prime Minister. Uh, and yeah, the United Kingdom doesn't feel particularly united at the moment. But it's also really historically unusual, isn't it, to have a Prime Minister seeking permission to assemble a government from one monarch and then informing another of her resignation Weeks later? Yeah, w- weeks later is the important bit because for, for people who haven't been paying attention to all the rolling stuff about this week and they want to know just how much shorter she is than George Canning. So Truss will make it to 40-something days depending on when this week she goes. Where, why did George Canning make it to? No one wants to be that pub question, did they? And I, no. I, I, pub quiz question. I honestly believed that the magical number Liz Truss was going to hold out for was 119 because 119 is the exact number of days George Canning was British Prime Minister. Okay, right. And I, I had it in my head that on day 120, Liz Truss would appear <laughs> right, right, that's it. outside Downing Street and say, I'm done. Because yeah, it is, it is an embarrassment. No one wants it. But Canning's reign, uh, it, it was a brief one in 1827. But, you know, when you visit the Westminster Parliament today, we made that point, you'll see a very impressive statue of him from 1832, just five years after his passing. And okay. it's, it's not really normal to commemorate someone in that way that quickly quickly. So yeah, I mean, for, for the guy we're talking about today, he mightn't have been Prime Minister for a long time, but it was the culmination of an incredible career uh, in British politics, largely focused on on the world. And yeah, when you hear of a brief tenure in office, that brings to mind failure. But actually, this guy we're talking about today, George uh, George Canning, I mean, he was no, no great age. He was in his 50s when he died in 1827, but he'd had an astonishing and quite divisive political career uh, up to that point. Yeah, so let's talk then about the, the Irish link to this guy, because this is something that we haven't heard much about this week. So he wasn't merely Irish by blood, but he was also kind of interesting for another reason which was that he was also unique in British politics by way of his social class. Yeah, so you know there was a time when everyone in British politics sounded like Jacob Rees-Mogg and looked like Jacob Rees-Mogg yeah. you know? and Cannon is unique in the sense that he, he comes from a totally different section of society he's born in London but he's a self-described Irishman born in London which is brilliant okay. and Jonathan Swift always said he was an Englishman born in Ireland Yes, and Canning is kind of that in reverse. Uh, his dad was a kind of significant landowner from, from County Derry who'd fallen on hard times. Uh, mother Irish-born was an actress and that's that's kind of significant because that's something that political opponents later use against them which sounds ridiculous to us today mm. but they find it laughable that this guy's mother is, is, is an actress so when his father dies this kind of young 
George Canning is, is one. Uh, you know, his father leaves behind the, uh, a widow, an infant, essentially destitute. And that's not the finest of bloodlines in British politics. And British politics, for a long, long time, was obsessed with, with your bloodline. That was yeah. everything. And as one biographer puts it, you know, political opponents constantly use the fact that his mother was an actress against Canning. And to quote one opponent, speaking in Parliament, the son of an actress is ipso facto disqualified from becoming Prime Minister. Wow. Isn't that ex- extraordinary? I'd like so, that someone, like, it's one thing to say that like maybe you need to be versed or to be raised in a certain culture. Like, I mean, objectionable as that is, like you can sort of contrive a logic behind it. But just to say, well, his mother was an actress, so therefore he can't run the country. Yeah. Like, when, that's amazing. You know, I would argue there's, there's quite a lot of similarity in the worlds of acting and politics uh, in terms of <laughs> Very or, or, true. oratory and everything else. But I mean, he's raised largely on the generosity of, of an uncle, a London merchant, sends him to Eton, onto Oxford. So he's not all that different from the rest of them. He's still an Eton boy, you know, and when he graduates, he says that my aim is now the House of Commons, the only path to the only desirable thing in the world, the gratification of ambition. Wow. Uh, just when you mentioned the uh, the... Uh, obsession with bloodlines and educational pedigree and stuff it only just reminds me that in the <laughs> Liz Truss did get to speak to a conservative conference which is something that a yeah, lot of short term yeah, ministers yeah, wouldn't get to do and instead of everyone focusing on the, the shambles of her government afterwards everyone was like she said she was the first Prime Minister to go to a comprehensive and then going through being like oh well was Theresa May's a comprehensive uh, Gordon Brown's has comprehensive in the title but we're not sure whether it was truly a comprehensive or not and just the obsession with educational background over there just, just is, is mad um, I, I say as someone who has noted that UCD has had six teaching and, and Trinity's only had one <laughs> at Astro Boys um, the path into politics back then uh, is nothing like today because unlike today well people might argue actually that there's still ways you can do it today <laughs> but but certainly back then it was literally the case and this was it wasn't even a secret yeah. this was just how you did it yeah. that you I could mean, buy your way into the system Westminster was rotten and, and College Green wasn't a whole lot better but I mean if, if, you, if you look at, at the London Parliament there's one Wiltshire village that had 11 voters but two MPs, yeah, which is absolutely <laughs> extraordinary, isn't it? Like proportionately, yeah. Know, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of local people yeah, who are members it, of parliament. If you want to go down <laughs> a Wikipedia rabbit hole this afternoon, that go look, go and look for the page of Rotten Boroughs. That's where the name actually comes from. And boroughs were these parliamentary constituencies, uh, which were basically the the preserves of rich landowners and basically they could effectively decide who the MP was. Which is unbelievable. And if, if you were a young man of ambition, like like George Canning out of, out of Eton, uh, if you could attract the attention of the political class, and that's what he manages to do with, with William Pitt, uh, you can you can kind of get yourself in there. I mean, they'll find something, or they'll find a rotten borough, if you want to call it that, for you. So there's nothing resembling democracy as we know it anywhere in the world, you know, in the politics of the 1790s. Yeah. But this is especially rotten. And when Canning gets into Westminster... Uh, with the help of the Prime Minister, he writes to a friend, I am coming to Parliament on a seat that does not cost me a farthing, nor put me under the slightest obligation to any one man, woman or child. Mr. Pitt only accepted. So yeah, if you have, some, if you have someone, uh, mm. it might as well be the Prime Minister yeah. at the very top of society. It, it just Doesn't it just seem, seem so weird uh, at this kind of remove? Now granted, we're talking about something 230 years ago, but that someone's like, I managed to make my way into Parliament and I answer to absolutely nobody. And just saying that is just a matter of pride. Just what, what a time to be alive. Uh, so Canning comes very much to public prominence then as a right-wing opponent of the Age of Revolution, this being the 1790s. Um, he even produces his own newspaper to try and influence public opinion. Which is mad. He, his political career, he's under Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, and that's a, that's a big job to go straight into, you know, yeah. at a time when the French question uh, was dominating British life. And he produces this mad little newspaper called the Anti-Jacobin Review. And he says himself, it's full of sound reasoning, good principles, 
principles and good jokes <laughs> to set the mind of the people right upon every subject. Hmm. And that's a long-standing political tradition. You know, you think about Charlie Hebdo in France or Private Eye on the neighbouring yeah. island or, hmm. you know, dare we even say it, the, the Phoenix, the Phoenix yeah. at home. Uh, a publication that mixes kind of satire and political commentary. And that's what George Canning is running in the late 18th century. So, I mean, he becomes Foreign Secretary. He's a key figure in the kind of Napoleonic Wars. Uh, and he plans the very successful attack on Copenhagen, which is a big defeat for Napoleon. And in fact, if you were to walk around Nelson's Pillar on O'Connell Street when it was there, mm. one of the British victories that was listed on Nelson's Pillar was Copenhagen. It was a big victory in okay. 1807. So he's really in a hot seat, if you will, uh, going to war with the, with the French, with, with whom he has very real ideological yeah. differences. I'd imagine a lot of people who would have seen the Copenhagen being lauded as a great British victory might not have known that there was Irish fingerprints all over the, the way in which they pulled it off. Um, internally, um, the Tory government of the day, this will shock people to learn. <laughs> internally, the Tory government of the day was full of clashing personalities, uh, plus the change. Uh, and on one occasion, um, he fought a duel, like an actual full Alexander Hamilton kind of a duel against a parliamentary colleague. Yeah, and for all the jokes about the Labour Party in Britain always ripping itself apart ideologically, I mean, British conservatism has been just as bad for this, going right the way back through history. Uh, and Canning clashed with the Secretary of State for War and the colonies in the Parliament, uh, in, the, in the government, which was the famed Lord Castlereagh, who was a Dubliner, believe it or not, born on Henry Street uh, in 1769, notorious figure in, in British politics, uh, remembered for his, his violent suppression of the 1798 rebellion. Mm. And Castlereagh and Canning, I mean, two Irishmen in their own ways, you know, yeah. uh, fall out in, in, in cabinet over an internal government dispute and they challenge each other to a duel, which is absolutely mad. I mean, can you imagine Richie Sunak and, <laughs> yeah. and Boris Johnson challenging one another to a duel to decide who's going to go wrong? You know, get get, get Donald McGraw back in the phone. We've, we've, we've found a way to resolve <laughs> all of this now. Canning missed. Castlereagh shoots his opponent in the tie. Castlereagh's reputation amongst liberal opinion was especially bad, actually. At, at the time he died, uh, the poet Lord Byron wrote, Posterity will ne'er survey a nobler grave than this. Here lies the bones of Castlereagh. Stop, traveller, and piss. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you you, you just don't get eulogies like that anymore, <laughs> do you? Um, like, dear me, this is going all sorts of directions today. Um, beyond France itself, the focus was on winning British influence in far off lands. This this is very much Britain of the, of the late 1790s and the 18, early 1800s. Yeah. So this is very much like how do we project our image into the world? So Canning's focus then becomes entirely intentional until the Prime Minister becomes ill back I, I at mean, home. Yeah, I mean, his political career is basically... Entirely in foreign affairs, deeply dramatic. You know, how do we influence, uh, how do we fight French influence in the world? You know, in Spain and Portugal, in Latin America, they're all big, big headaches. And yeah. France is the emerging world power. And how, how do we kind of put a, put a stop to that? And then his chance at the top position in British politics comes. The Prime Minister, Lord Liverpool, uh, dies suddenly in 1827. And Canning, uh, you know, he's barely in the position himself. He takes over the job from the Prime Minister. And then he dies of TB in August of that same year. So he's, he's in the job for months which mm. is extraordinary and his name kind of only pops up this week because of what's happened with Liz Truss and yeah. this, uh, you know people were presuming that Cannon was some great failure this guy had only been in the job for 110 years but the, the historian Rachel Bynard had kind of compared them she made the point that you know Cannon similarly came into power under a period of Tory infighting by 1827, the Tory party was split into two factions. The Duke of Wellington, Robert Peel, led the more, and Robert Peel led the more right-wing side of the party known as the Ultras, while Canning and his followers were known as the more moderate Canningites. Yeah. So, yeah, not unlike the contemporary world, I suppose. The, the Tory party was ripping itself apart. But this guy who'd gone to war with the French politically, militarily, and otherwise, yeah. you know, 100-odd days in the job. Uh, so, sorry, there's there's the Canning wing, the Canningites, and then the Ultras, which are led by the Duke of Wellington, who has his own links to this country. Yes, because of course. Uh, yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. So everything uh, that's gone wrong, the Tory party yeah, is in some it's, way it's, our it's fault. all our fault. Uh, 
Duke of Wellington, this is the, the only reason why I'm so well versed on rotten boroughs and the likes, because the Duke of Wellington was the MP for the rotten borough of Trim County Meath. There's still <laughs> a, still a big uh, a big statue of him on a pillar uh, in Trim and County Meath, the nearest town to where I was growing up. Um, so a premiership then of only um, 100 days or so, it was possible in his case to leave something of a legacy. Uh, do you reckon there's a Liz Truss yeah, legacy? look, like Cannon said, look, Europe's the main extends to the shores of the Atlantic. England's begins there. And I think in the mind of Conservative Britain, he, he is the one who asserted Britain's place in it changing world who sought to limit the influence of France and yeah as you said it wasn't long before an Irishman by birth the Duke of Wellington was, was in the job of Prime Minister but mm. what is the legacy of Liz Truss I mean does someone in 40 odd days have a legacy and I thought the speech that she gave was unbelievably brief I think it was under two minutes yeah which is a- un- 89 seconds I think somebody had the stopwatch on but then again there's not a huge record of, of accomplishment to stand over you're not yeah. going to stand outside and say well in my first year I did this and in my second year I did that I mean that's so important how much of a record do you do when you've presided over 45 days and the most significant thing that happened was the death of a monarch uh, yeah when a Prime Minister departs Downing Street and the cat's there and everything else and the, the, the forlorn husband or wife whatever it may be mm. I mean they give the listener at home a list of achievements of their passing administration you know remember me thus yeah. and there really was very little to say wasn't there uh, it is remarkable just in, in, in sort of in, in putting a line under all of this so 1827 was the last year of three Prime Ministers but it was also a year in which the first two of them died in office so it wasn't sort of a case of great political instability there might have been a bit of ravage or infighting or turmoil but it wasn't the case that they were no, all being totally, shoved aside it's only it political was... careers dying these days and, and <laughs> you know maybe rumours of Boris Johnson's demise have been greatly exaggerated <laughs> the weeks ahead will uh, but more on that in, in the days to come here <laughs> on, on News Talk you get all, all your details here um, Donald Fallon is the author of the community books of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia and now of the Three Castles Burning uh, book which yeah, is a... thanks to the journal.ie who ran one of the chapters today uh, on Ship Street so people Ah. Can give it give it a, a free sample on the journal.ie today. The journal.ie today is where you'll get an update of that. And if you do like that, of course, there is a whole book uh, that Donald has written about the history of Dublin as told through 12 streets and Three Castles Burning is also the name of his podcast on Dublin history, which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.